If you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 4. While you're turning there, I hope some of y'all got to watch uh, the Super Bowl. Uh, Those of you who care about the Super Bowl, I'm I'm sure you took time and you got to watch some of it. Although my team, the Dallas Cowboys, woo, I cheer for myself. uh, even though my team was not in the Super Bowl, I've, I've always been interested in that game, enjoy watching that game, or at least portions of it. Uh, we, my wife and I, left church last uh, Sunday, and uh, we got on an airplane to go to Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico, (coughs) where we uh, were uh, looking and celebrating uh, what God is doing through Southern Baptist work in in, uh, planting churches and helping people in need in San Juan and the surrounding regions there. And so we uh, were on a plane. Uh, We left Norfolk and we went to uh, uh, Atlanta and our connection in Atlanta took off. Uh, and the Super Bowl started while we're in the air. Now, the good news is, on these fancy flights now, you can watch uh, s- stuff like the Super Bowl. And so we had it on their little screen there on, and, and this was just regular class. This wasn't first class stuff. This is just regular stuff. And we're sitting there, we're watching the little, uh, well, I, I was, I, I don't know if Edie was, but I was watching the Super Bowl on the little screen uh, in front of me and, and, and got to watch the first quarter. And about midway through the second quarter, uh, the, the screen went blank. And then they go on the intercom and say, we've now hit international waters and we can't stream the Super Bowl. So I did not get to watch... Uh, the end of the Super Bowl. By the time we landed in San Juan, uh, I immediately got my phone, not before then, not before the wheels touched ground, but as soon as the wheels touched ground, I got my phone and I checked ESPN and I saw that there was about a minute and a half left and Kansas City had just come back and uh, gained the victory. And so I got to celebrate. I was for Kansas City. I don't know why, but uh, it's San Francisco. Of course, I'm for Kansas City. Anyway, uh, so, uh, Kansas City has better barbecue. Uh, so, uh, I was celebrating that, uh, but I, I like watching football games, and I enjoy uh, uh, celebrating uh, the victory. Oh, the other reason why I celebrate uh, Kansas City Chiefs winning is because my son-in-law, Will, is a huge Kansas City Chiefs fan, and, and we've got to have that camaraderie going on because guys got to stick together. Uh, Brady, on the other hand, the soon-to-be son-in-law, uh, he is a, uh, oh, that team that shall not be named, uh, New England Patriots. Anyway, uh, but I mean, that's better for most of y'all. That's far better than being a Dallas Cowboys fan, right? So uh, anyway, when I was a kid, uh, we, uh, my dad, we lived in Dallas and I grew up watching the night, you know, the 1970s Cowboys. I'm a Texas Shram uh, owner of the Cowboys, Cowboys fan. I, Tom Landry, head coach, Cowboys fan. I'm a, I'm the Roger Stallback, number 12 Cowboys fan. The Robert Newhouse, number 44 Cowboys fan. The Tony Dorsett, number 33 Cowboys fan. The Ed Too Tall Jones, number 72 Cowboys fan. The Harvey Martin, number 79 Cowboys fan, right? Oh yeah. Uh, Preston Pearson, Drew Pearson, Oh, yes, I, that's my team. Anyway, 
When I was a kid, my dad surprised my older brother and myself to, uh, with tickets, and we got to go see the Cowboys play the Buffalo Bills, and there was a famous running back who played for the Buffalo Bills at the time, uh, but we didn't really go to see him. We went to go see our team. It was, there was ice on the ground uh, there in the uh, DFW area. Uh, it was cold, and the tickets were in the nose freeze section, not the nosebleed, nose freeze section, but we were in the stadium. And one of the things about a, uh, that Dallas, old Dallas football stadium, uh, all the seats, even though they may have been aluminum bench, uh, all, the, all the seats were aligned in such a way that you could watch the game on the field. In fact, uh, you can go to one of the college uh, football stadiums in the seven cities of Hampton Roads. You go into that football stadium, and it's an amazing thing. All the seats are designed to have the focus on the field. Uh, no matter what football stadium you go to, the design, even with all the intricacies of the new football stadiums today, the design remains the same to have the seats designed so that the focus is on the field. When Jerry Jones took over as, head, uh, as the owner of the Dallas Cowboys, he, he uh, had his plan to rebuild the stadium. So he tore down the stadium that I went to see football games in, and he rebuilt it with this other monolith. And imagine what would have happened. Now, this is t a Jerry Jones' world. I mean, it is crazy with his extravagance. It's got a row of shops in the concourse, like Gucci shops and that kind of stuff. Uh, they have uh, they have high class restaurants for concessions, not just nachos and hot dogs, uh, but they have high class restaurants for concessions. They've got that big video jumbotron in the center of the field. Uh, no matter where you are, you can see the game. But uh, but imagine what would have happened when Jerry Jones is designing this football stadium and he calls this architectural team in and hires them. He says, I, I, we're going to create this, this great experience and it's going to be a wonderful experience for anybody who comes and I want this and I want that. And so the architects, they get together and the engineers get together and they design uh, this brand new football stadium. And in their design, they have all the seats uh, prepared and they have all the concourses designed to the hilt. They've got all the, the team meeting rooms in, in top order with the greatest digitals and all that kind of stuff. They have all this stuff together. But in their design, as they present it, there's one problem. With all those other things that they had prepared and planned for, they forgot to leave room for the football field. Well, obviously, that architectural firm be fired and, uh, because a football field, a football stadium is designed to watch football. No matter all the other things that are attached to it, the one purpose of the football stadium is to go sit in a seat and watch a football game. Today, we're going to talk about the church in a way that reminds me of that. See, I think what happens sometimes is we think that God designed the football stadium for the concession stand. God designed the church for our concession stands. We, we mistakenly believe that the church is designed, architecturally made, so that we would have comfortable seats to sit in. 
or so that we will have the right uh, atmospheric temperature or that we might have uh, colors on the wall that are pleasing to my eye. Now, I'm not demeaning any of those things. I'm glad you get to sit and snooze and sleep in these seats right here. I'm, I'm thankful for that. I, I, I don't demean it. I don't say it's, it's, it's uh, uh, bad. I, I, colors on the wall, that's great. I, if, if this room were painted orange, I would revolt. You know, I mean, uh, burnt orange for Texas colors, not bright orange for Tennessee colors. But uh, I, I would revolt. You know, there are some things that, that I care about too. But friends, the design of this church has zero to do about this building. The, the design of the church has zero to do with uh, where we meet. I love the fact that we've got a building here on Kinsville. We've got a building on Volvo. We, we've got a, a Hispanic fellowship, and we've got a Russian fellowship. We've got a Haitian fellowship. We've got, uh, we've, we've got a North African fellowship. We've got Vietnamese fellowship. We've got all these different opportunities that God has given us. But it has zero to do with the building in which we reside, as beneficial as that may be. See, God did not design the church for us to sit at the concession stand. God designed the church for us to be players on the field, and he's the one that's watching. So today, we're going to talk about the church. We're going to talk in specific terms of how we can make a difference. By the way, that's why God has designed the church, for us to make a difference for his glory. Uh, Jesus described it in this way uh, in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, in a conversation he had with his disciples. He asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? And, and they responded, Matthew 16, 18, Peter said, you are the Christ the son of the living God. And Jesus was so pleased with that response. He said, blessed are you, uh, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this truth to you. And then about that statement that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, Jesus said, and upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, what, there's a lot to that statement that, that we don't, it's not part of this message today, but there's a lot to that statement that, that we could unpack. What I want you to focus on is who's the one that builds the church? Who, who is it? it? It's Jesus. It's, it's not you. It's not me. It's, it's, not the, it's not the founders of First Norfolk. It's not what happened in 1805. It's not what happens in different committee structures that we have. Who builds the church? It's Jesus. He's the one who's designed it. He's the one who's built it. Now, why? I mean, why did he build the church? Why do we have this, this thing called First Norfolk? Why did God plant First Norfolk here? 200 years ago, in his heart, God determined to plant First Norfolk in the seven cities of Hampton Roads. Why? I think the Apostle Paul helps us here. Uh, again, not our text this morning, our text is Ephesians 4, but in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul is talking about the church. And here's what he says in, in, in 2 Corinthians 2, verse 14. He says, Now thanks be to God who always leads us into triumph in Christ Jesus. Now I love that, don't you? I mean, here's here, it, it, Paul says, Hey, Let's give thanks to God who always leads us. Who are the us? It's the church. Who always leads us in triumph 
in Christ Jesus. So the victory that we have as a church happens only in our connection and submission to Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is the one who builds the church. He's the one who's designed the church. He's the one who has a purpose for the church to fulfill, including First Norfolk. So what is that purpose? What is that design? I think Paul hits it here in the second part of verse 14. He says, now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us, here's the purpose, here's the design, and through us diffuses the fragrance of the knowledge of him in every place. Now, why is that important? Well, he goes on in verse 15, he says, and, and the church is the fragrance of life to those who are being saved and the fragrance of death for those who are perishing. In this metaphoric language, the purpose of the church is to display the greatness and the goodness and the glory of a loving God who sent Jesus to rescue sinners from the darkness of their sin, from the chains of their shame, and to provide an opportunity for them to experience new life through faith in Jesus Christ. That's the purpose of the church. The purpose of the church is to diffuse the fragrance of the knowledge of God through Christ. And then he adds this phrase, in every place. In every place, that's uh, the cities in and around Corinth. That's the, that, that's the uh, communities in Corinth. It's, it's the uh, leather worker street. It's the butcher's street. It's the idol maker's street. They, they were to diffuse the fragrance of the knowledge of God. Sharing the good news of God's great love. Showing people how great God is, how good God is. That is the purpose of the church. That's the purpose of this church. One of the reasons why we celebrate this strategy of having locations at Kempsville and strategy of having locations at Volvo and other locations to come around the seven cities of Hampton Roads is because of this verse. That we, the church, First Norfolk, gifted uniquely by God, historically planted in the seven cities with a unique responsibility from God, we have been given the opportunity to diffuse the fragrance of the knowledge of God in every place, in Kempsville, in Greenbrier, in Chesapeake, in Suffolk, in Portsmouth. And we do that as we gather First Norfolk in those locations. Not in this crossroads area, which is great. We love the, the historic location, not historic, the recently historic location of First Norfolk. There at, at, at 64 and 264, great location. But friends, one thing we know for sure is that people don't travel 20 miles to get to church anymore. And our mission remains the same. To diffuse the fragrance of the knowledge of him in every place. And so we go to where they are, just like the first church did. It's no different. That's the strategy. That's the celebration of what God is doing at Volvo right now. How he's changing lives as we celebrate individuals who come to faith in Christ. That's what we celebrate here at Kempsville right now. As we see God changing lives and, and leading people from darkness into light. But what does that have to do with you and me here and now? I mean, right here. Okay, so, so what? 
That's why First Norfolk exists. Well, my challenge today is to help you see why you exist in First Norfolk. We have created this whole church idea. We've taken all the spiritual side out of it, all the supernatural work of God out of it. And we said, well, if you want to be a member, just sign your name to a dotted line. Can, can I tell you that to be a member of First Norfolk, we believe, is so important that it needs to be what God does, not what you do. We believe that God is the one who draws you to the community of believers. Why does he do that? Well, we see this in Ephesians 4. Let me get to the text. And and it's going to go quick from this point forward. He says with a grin. Ephesians chapter 4. So we're just going to look at verses 11 and 12 and then down to verse 16. He says, and he himself. Now, who is the he himself? In verse 11, he himself. Go back up to verse 7. But uh, to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. So Christ there is the one who gives this measure of grace. What is the grace he's talking about? He's talking about the spiritual giftedness. We talked about spiritual gifts a couple of weeks ago in 2 Corinthians chapter, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where we were talking about the church. First, Norfolk is the body of Christ. And each one of us, God has gifted uh, to uh, uh, be a a body part. That's the image of 1 Corinthians 12, that each one of us have been gifted spiritually by God to be a body part. And some of you are toes, and some of you are toenails, and some of you are tongues, and some of you are teeth, some of you are ears, and some of you are eyes, and some of you are hair follicles, some of you are bald spots. But all of us, 1 Corinthians 12, 18 says, all of us have been placed in the body just as it pleases God for his pleasure. So you have been planted here and gifted supernaturally by God's spirit to be here. And that's what uh, Ephesians 4, 7 is talking about. Let me read again. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. So he's saying you were given a spiritual gift. Go down, verse 11, and he, still Christ, there from verse 7, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, and some, uh, uh, some evangelists for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a complete person, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, that is Jesus Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes the growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. That's one sentence in the Greek. No, that's a long sentence. All right, so let me break it down just for, uh, for us here. All right, so what, what is he talking about here? Well, um, I believe that God has created the church to be his instrument to make a difference in the world. Okay, that that is the instrument. It's the church. Well, why are you here? Well, because you're the church and God has made you to make a difference in the world through 
the church. All of us would embrace the first part of that statement. Uh, uh, God has made me to make a difference. All of us want to make a difference. We want to make a difference in our work. We want to make a difference in our home. We want to make a difference with our friends and our neighbors. We want to make a difference um, uh, with our vote or with our finances. We want to make a difference. All of us want to make a difference. But, but it's that last phrase, through the church, that maybe causes us a little hiccup because we mostly identify making a difference with our own personal platforms of influence or, or, or whatever, and we say, that's how I make the greatest difference. Friends, please understand, the greatest difference you'll ever make is not through your business, it's through your church. The greatest difference you'll ever make is not through CBN, it's through the church. It, uh, the greatest difference you'll ever make is not through the money in your bank account, but it's through the church. Uh, why do I say that? It's because that's the way God has designed it. And it doesn't mean that your business is bad or your vote is wrong or 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 or, or or a parachurch organization isn't good. It just means that God has designed the church to be the instrument in his hand to make a difference for his glory so that what we read in Isaiah chapter 6 where the angel said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. That whole earth full of his glory, this side of of heaven will only happen through the church, through you and me being the church. So today I want you to understand you can make a difference, but the most eternal difference you'll ever make is through the church. Now, how do I get there? Well, in verse 11 and verse 12, what what Paul does and what God does, he says, okay, there is a place for each of us to fulfill in the church. There is a place. You're here today, and God has planted you here today so that you can make an eternal difference through First Baptist Church of Norfolk. And how does that work? Well, verse 11 tells us that God gifts certain individuals to the church. That's apostles and prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists. These four groups, pastors and teachers would be one group, these four groups comprise foundational gifts that God gives to the church. It's a, it's a, a, a rehearsal of verse 7 where he says that Christ gave uh, uh, grace or grace gifts uh, according to how he wanted to dole them out. And, and in that regard, I, just to bring it home so it becomes live for you, uh, Eric Thomas is one of the gifts of God's grace to First Norfolk. I, and and it's, it, it, all of you, all of you have the same value as Eric Thomas in terms of gifting and importance and essential quality to the church. I'm just describing what my job description is. I fulfill the function of pastor, teacher. Now, apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, evangelist, what are those offices? I'm not going to break them down, but those offices describe um, individuals who are specially spiritually, supernaturally given the ministry of the Word of God so that these individuals are given the Word, they receive the Word, they proclaim the Word, and they teach the Word. And that is the function of their role 
in the church. It's not everything that they do, but that is the gift that God has given the church. I'm not the only one in the church with this gift or calling of apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, uh, or uh, evangelist. There are others, uh, but I'm the one you get to see each week, by and large. Uh, Others in this room that, that have that gifting, Kurt Breland would be one. We're going to commission him in a few moments, or, or, or Gary Sanders, and we're going to commission him in a few moments, we're, or, or, or uh, uh, Philip Herring, or Claude Parent, or Jan Frost, or Julie Hunt, or uh, Lauren Bassett. Uh, God has gifted, or Daryl Minky, or uh, God has gifted each uh, us with each, uh, gifted the church with these individuals with a special gifting by his spirit to receive God's word, to proclaim God's word, and to teach God's word. Now, that's what I'm doing right now. I'm, I'm, I'm proclaiming and I'm teaching. The receiving of God's word is what happened before I got here. I mean, it's still happening today, but that reception uh, is what I did all week to get ready to, for this moment. And the spirit of God, in a unique way, has gifted me to the church for this function. Now, some of you may not think I'm a gift to the church, but uh, I'm just talking about the job description God's given me, right? So my job is to receive, to proclaim, and to teach the word. He goes on, and he says, there's a reason that God gifts someone like me and others to the church, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. What's the purpose? Well, the purpose is equipping the saints. So I'm given as a gift to the church and others uh, who are called in this, this special calling are given as a gift to the church as leaders of the church for you. So that my job is to equip you. That's my job, equip. Now, what is equip? Well, equipping is a term that is used only here in the New Testament. Not used anywhere else. The Greek word is not used anywhere else in the New Testament. So what does it mean? Well, let me, let me paint some pictures and maybe help. Uh, equipping here is like a football coach lines up the offensive line and day after day, hour after hour, week after week, gives them their assignments for the game that is coming up on Friday or Saturday or Sunday and makes them do the drills and go through the exercise and run uh, the, uh, the run, runs and do the bear crawls all to prepare for that game. That's equipping. It's, it's like a doctor who takes a dislocated joint and puts it back in place and sets that dislocated joint so that that arm or leg is useful again. That's equipping. It's, it's, uh, it's the teacher who, uh, with great pain and diligence and compassion for her students, takes those students and prepares them to make an A on the test. It's the guide, the guide who leads an expedition to the summit of Mount Kilimanjaro 
and he has a group of people who have signed up for this task of reaching the summit of Mount Kilimanjaro, this guide gives his team, each one, the tools they need, the specific assignments that they'll fulfill, and the training that they'll need in order to reach the summit of Mount Kilimanjaro. That's equipping. So when it comes to my job description as pastor teacher and others' job description uh, as those who receive the word, who uh, proclaim the word, and who teach the word, uh, I must be like a coach, like a doctor. I must be like a, a guide and like a teacher. That's my job description. So that you, so that we might be ready to fulfill our job description. What is our job description? Our job description is doing the work of ministry so that the body of Christ is edified. What's the work of ministry? Well, the work of ministry is uh, uh, what we see every week. It's, it's, uh, it, it's something as simple as, as uh, handing out uh, information at an information desk, or it's uh, something as, as profound as going and visiting shut-ins, or is something as, as meaningful as visiting those who were sick in the hospital, or it's, it's something as powerful as praying uh, for the church and for the leaders of the church, that, uh, that work of ministry is done by you, by us, not just by me. You see the picture? Okay, so why does all that matter? Well, because we need to understand, all of us need to understand that God has uniquely made us so that we will fulfill our function in the church so that the church will be built up, edified, so that the church, First Norfolk, will fulfill her purpose, her design, not just be a stadium with no football field, but we would be the stadium with all of us as players on the field. How do we fulfill that design? It's when, when, when we understand that the church exists not for me but for God to fulfill his purpose, which is to diffuse the fragrance of the knowledge of God through Christ in every place. So that's why it's important for you to understand your uniqueness. Will you understand, embrace your uniqueness? Now, that, that's a question I want us to ponder as we come to a close here. Will you embrace your uniqueness? Now, we have been made uniquely by God each one gifted in a unique way. We have different personalities and different uh, talents and abilities, but more than that, more than your personality, more than your talent, the Spirit of God has gifted you spiritually for God's glory through the church. And this is how we make a difference by exercising those spiritual gifts in the church and through the church so that we together might, as the church, diffuse the fragrance of the knowledge of God in Kempsville. That as the church called First Nova, we would diffuse the fragrance of the knowledge of God in Volvo, that we would do it in Spanish, that we would do it in, in uh, French, Haitian, that we would do it in, in uh, Vietnamese, that we would do it in... in, in uh, uh, North African language, 
that we would do it in, uh, in, in Russian, that we, would, that we would diffuse the fragrance of the knowledge of God in every place. So the question is, will you embrace your uniqueness? When I was a kid growing up, in high school, there was a movie that came out called uh, uh, Back to the Future. Y'all know the movie? Uh, if you haven't, uh, I mean, it's so outdated now, it probably wouldn't be enjoyable for some, but, but I loved it. When it came out, it was like the hit of all hits, right? Michael J. Fox, our hero, right? Um, but there was, a sh- there, there, there was a car in this movie, if you haven't seen it, there's a car in this movie. The, the, the car is called a DeLorean. They don't make those things anymore, but, but this DeLorean was like the penultimate of cars in that day and time. And Doc Brown uh, was the scientist who owned the DeLorean, and he uh, built this DeLorean so that um, the DeLorean could travel back in time. So they travel back in time, but here's the problem. The flux capacitor broke. And because the flux capacitor broke, um, the DeLorean couldn't get back to uh, 1985, the future. That was the future back then. Uh, uh, Couldn't get back to 1985. For the church, in God's design, you are a flux capacitor. You are that flux capacitor. The church is designed with you in mind. God has put you as an essential part of his design and his plan. You see, this church cannot display the full nature, the full measure of the stature of Christ if you are not doing your part. If you're not embracing the uniqueness of who you are, gifted supernaturally as a thumb, but you try to be a toe, that flux capacitor is broken and the church hobbles and sputters and we don't diffuse in full aroma the fragrance of the knowledge of God in every place. Will you embrace your uniqueness? The second question I want us to think about is not only embracing our uniqueness, but will you do your part? Uh, uh, Yesterday we had the engagement uh, of Emily Catherine and Brady, and we were so thrilled about that. uh, Brady uh, uh, texted Edie and me uh, several weeks ago, and when we got the text, we knew what was coming. Uh, he's, can y'all meet for lunch? And Edie and I, oh, yeah, okay, yes, we can. And so we, we, uh, we meet for lunch, and, and Brady did such a great job just asking for Emily Catherine's hand in marriage. It was awesome how he did that. And he, he had the right words and, 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 and everything. He did such a spectacular job. Uh, but then it was waiting for, uh, you know, all the all the ingredients to come together for yesterday to happen. And then Brady uh, let uh, the, I have four daughters, if you didn't know, Brady let the other three daughters and and Edie and myself and and Will uh, know that uh, yesterday was going to be the day he asked for Emily Catherine's hand in marriage, asked her. 
And so uh, that, that set in motion all the plotting and planning that a family does. Uh, number one, to keep Emily Catherine in the dark, at, all the while planning a great celebration of this love that we are so thankful for. And so we start planning, and, and, and I, I say we only in the metaphorical sense. I did no planning whatsoever, uh, but they did. And, and so uh, yesterday morning, uh, we wait for Emily Catherine. Uh, Emily Catherine is going to meet Brady for coffee. Uh, and, and so as soon as she hits the door and goes out the door, we, we run, uh, Edie and I just start. And, and then uh, the, the other sisters, um, Elizabeth and uh, Maggie and Mallory, all came in. They've been waiting for her to leave. They make their way and they come to the house and then the work begins because we want the environment to demonstrate what a celebration of love this is and how, how excited we are because we love Brady and we love Emily Catherine and we want to celebrate that. And so everybody is working diligently Everybody is putting the pieces together and, and Edie and I have to go and, and we have to pick up sandwiches for the, for the party and, and on the way, uh, we just, Edie says how awesome it is to have each one of the daughters uh, doing uh, their role, playing their role to accomplish uh, that celebration of love. Hey, it really was a, a, a beautiful thing. And the reason we were able to get it done is because Edie has equipped us well. I mean, Edie has equipped us well. Each one of us have different gifts. Each one of us have different uh, eyes through which we see. Each one of us have different talents and abilities. Mine is vacuuming floors and sweeping floors and mopping floors. That's the only talent I have. But my daughters, they have different talents.